If you have a Bible with you, which I encourage you to have, please open it to 1 Timothy chapter 2. Essentially this morning we're just going to be working through those verses together. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 5 to 7. And a few of the younger kids who can write have a, a special worksheet, and I'll call it special. If there's any other kids who feel they've missed out, talk to me afterwards, because after five sheets there's a prize. So they've essentially got a modified outline that they've just got to fill in as they go. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you speak to us through your word. And Lord, we pray that you would speak to us now, that you would grant us understanding. Lord, that your word would not come to us and not change us. Lord, that you would help us to hear and to see. And so, Father, please open the eyes of our hearts that we might know Christ, his glorious work. And each one of us, Lord, we pray, might truly share in him and be saved. In Jesus we pray. Amen. Verses 5, 6, 7, only a few verses, but crucial. And not just crucial, but wonderful. If it's your desire to know God, to be connected to God, to be in a relationship with God, the way, the means, the answer in these verses... If you're not connected with God and don't know Him, you need to understand these verses because this shows us the way. And so Paul takes us here to a place that reminds us who God is because we've got to start with God. If we want to be related to God in a relationship with Him, we've got to remember who He is. And then He's going to tell us about Jesus, the glorious things Jesus has done. And then He's going to tell us about Paul and the work that God has given Paul to do with regards to what Jesus has done. So essentially three simple steps, God, Jesus, and Paul. So firstly, as you, if you've got your Bible open in front of you, in verse 7, the first thing that we learn about God, or you may be reminded about God, is that God actually exists. We actually live in a day and a time where we've got to say that. People are willfully denying the existence of God. But Paul writes, for there is one God. God is God exists, but why do we even have to answer that question is because men and women want autonomy from God. Men and women don't want to acknowledge God. Men and women love their sin. Sadly, probably for many school children, if not adults too, even if they think they believe in God, no one else does, so they feel they can't believe in God or express it out of fear. And once we decide we don't want God, we throw out the knowledge of God. And yet one man has said, it's quite simple. If there's a building, you know there's a builder. If you see a painting, you know there's a painter. And this creation, which is far more complex and more glorious than any building or painter, you know there's a creator. It's as simple as that. Romans 1, familiar verses from Romans 1 verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them from his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, which have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made so that men are without excuse. 
Men and women just have to walk out and look up at the night sky and they're without excuse when it comes to the glories of God. Men and women just have to hold a newborn baby and they're without excuse when it comes to the reality of a creator. And the Bible says we all know, but we suppress it. We refuse to acknowledge it. We want God to go away and hold on to the lie. And the sobering but true words of Psalm 14, the fool says in his heart there is no God. The fool. And yet just because we know this, we decide something doesn't exist, we don't want it to exist, doesn't make it not exist. The same thing, the rational thing, is to make sure what we believe is consistent with what is. And God is. And Paul tells us God is, but more than that, he says, there is one God. There are no other gods. Isaiah preached I, through the Lord, spoke through him, I am the Lord, there is no other. Besides me, there is no God. There is only one God. And God is all-knowing. He's omniscient. He understands everything. He knows everything. He knows everything about everything, everywhere. And God cannot lie. And God is truthful and loving. And he says, there's no one else. I alone am God. Isaiah 45, 18. For thus says the Lord who created the heavens, he is God. Who formed the earth and made it, he established it. He did not create it empty. He formed it to be inhabited I am the Lord, there is no other. We come this morning to worship God, who is God alone. The one true God, the God who exists. And we know who the true God is because he reveals himself to us in the Bible. If we want to understand the truth about God, we turn to the Bible. If we're trying to weigh up when gods are put in front of us, which is true and which is wrong, we open the Bible. And so we must keep holding firmly to the Bible. Sadly, some Christians or so-called Christians over-contextualize, which means they go to places where other people refer to God and they just start saying, it's the same God. There are people who work among Muslims and say, Allah's the same God. He's not. Allah tells us different things when you read the Quran to what we read about God in the Bible. The God of Islam does not acknowledge Jesus, does not acknowledge the resurrection. The God of Islam tells us something different to the God of the Bible he is not God. There is only one true God, the God of the Bible. And we're told in these verses that for you and me to be connected to the God who is the one true God, we need a mediator. We need a mediator. Verse 5. For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men. God in all his glory, you and I in our smallness, there is a bridge, a mediator. What does a mediator do? A mediator makes peace with, between people who are not at peace. He a mediator restores the relationship. Have you ever acknowledged or thought just how broken your relationship is with God left to yourself? God is God, we are not. He's the creator, we are the creatures. He's infinite, we're finite. God is eternal, we are created. He's the king and we defy him. He's perfect and we are sinful. He's made himself known, but we suppress the knowledge of him. He is loving, but we are evil. He is light, we are darkness. He is holy, we are wicked. 
He is righteous and he must punish us. There is a problem between natural man and God. We need a mediator. We know that any person who commits a crime in the land in Australia will be put on trial, will be found guilty and will be condemned. And so in the same way, we know that it's right. We live in God's world. We have broken his Lord and one day we will be put on trial. And if we do not have peace with him, we will be found guilty and we will rightly be condemned. But God in his mercy has provided a way for sinners to be spared condemnation. He's provided a mediator, someone who can make peace. If you share in that mediator, you receive peace and grace and mercy from God. Because of that, God's wrath will forever be removed. You will never, ever have to fear condemnation. You will never, ever have to tremble with the thought of facing his judgment. Have you been honest with God? Are you being honest with God about who he is? Are you being honest about who you are before God? Because it's something that you definitely don't want to yawn about or just put on the shelf. Because God is. You are. I can see you. And one day the two of you are going to meet. Because when you consider the perfections of God and acknowledge your own sinfulness, you will long for a mediator. You will long for someone. You will cry out for the help of a mediator. You're going to cling to him if you find him. Otherwise, it will be terrifying to come into the presence of God. You're going to love him intensely. That he should save your life and restore your relationship with God. The Bible says there is one God. And only through the mediator, the mediator he provides, can we be reconciled to him. And praise be to God, we know who the mediator is. Verse 5, for there is one God and there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. He is the the greatest mediator. The greatest mediator. For he restores the most important relationship that exists. Your relationship with God is... And he's the only mediator. It says there is one mediator. John 14, 6 tells us, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Acts 14, 12, Peter's preaching, there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. There is no other way. Jesus is the mediator, the only mediator. Which means all other religions are false. They have to be. There cannot be many paths to heaven if there is only one way, one mediator. And that's why Paul emphatically states, Galatians 1.18... But even if we or an angel from heaven, an angel, an angelic being, a heavenly being, should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. 
Even if an angel was to appear in the room right now and say, no, this is the way to God, don't listen. Be accursed because you follow that person, you follow that angel, you will end up in condemnation. And woe to those who teach and begin false religion, even though they claim to have interacted with angels from heaven because they're leading men and women to hell. If you have lots of different instructions in front of you, all these instructions claiming to get you to God, and God says it's only that one, it's only Jesus, and yet you pick up the other one and say, oh, I'm going to work really hard at this one. It's foolish. But I'm going to do really hard. Surely God will find it honourable. No, he won't. It's defiance. You're rejecting the truth. There's only one way, Jesus Christ. Have you submitted to that truth? Which also means, do you realise that anyone who's not following Christ is not headed to heaven? People everywhere at every time must come to Christ. There is no other way. But the wonder of this passage is, it's not here to burden us or to weigh us down. It's here for us to rejoice. To fill us with joy and gladness, to give us hope and a future because of the mediator, you can be saved. You can go to heaven. You can be in a relationship with God, though you are completely undeserving. He's the greatest mediator because it's impossible, utterly impossible for you to make peace with God. However ingenious you think the way might be, it's utterly impossible. Only Christ can do that work. And we see here something very important. There is one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. Jesus mediates as a man. That is very important. <clears throat> but firstly, before we dig into that, we must be very careful that we don't use one part of Scripture to nullify another. We may read things in the Bible that we can't necessarily reconcile straight away, but we don't use one to trump the other. John 1.1 probably know where I'm going. <clears throat> In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus is the Word. In the beginning was Jesus, Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God. He is God. John 8:58. Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. I am is the God of Israel. The Bible clearly teaches, and it is the truth, Jesus is divine. He is God. He is the Lord of Israel. But in his work as Redeemer, he had to become a man. We get a summary of it in Philippians. I'll read a few verses from Philippians 2, starting at verse 6. Though Jesus, it's about Jesus, was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. He was God. He didn't have to clutch at it. He didn't have to claim it. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Jesus truly became a man. We call that the incarnation. It's a mystery. But Jesus, who is 100% God, 
became 100% man. If you diminish either, you diminish Christ. If you want to play down his humanity, you rob him of glory. If you want to take away his deity, you rob him of glory. He is God incarnate, Emmanuel. We do it at Christmas, God with us. But that Jesus, the Son of God, should become a man, should leave us speechless. Imagine the angels of heaven with the Son of God from all eternity and all his glory stepping down, putting it aside, being found in appearance as a man from the womb of Mary. They're God from eternity. How great the love of God must be, how great the love of Christ that he should do such a thing. No wonder that we sing how wide, how deep, how high, you can't measure it. We can't even begin to grasp the glories of God in his love for us, for those he would save. It's beyond comprehension. Why should God become a man to save you? Why should God become a man to save you? But here are just two reasons why it was essential that Jesus became a man. Firstly, for Jesus to be our mediator, one of his roles is as a great high priest. And if he is to be the high priest, he does that as a man. Hebrews 2. We've got this. Turn to Hebrews 2 verse 17. Therefore, he, that's Jesus, had to be made like his brothers in every respect, that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. The priest had to come from amongst his brothers to qualify, to be faithful in that role. And God says, I will be your priest. Which means, Jesus says, I will become a man. I will be born of Mary. And right now in heaven, Christ has brought humanity. When you pray to Christ, when you come before God through Jesus, there are many things in life, we can say this, that we don't understand. There are many things that bring us tears and sorrow. There are many things that are mysteries to us. And often people talk about suffering. But this we know. When you pray to God through Christ, your high priest is someone who has suffered. He knows human suffering. He knows what it is to be cursed and spat on. He knows what it is to suffer and die. Your great saviour is your mediator and understands what it is to be human. And he was willing to become a priest like his brothers. But a second reason, and it comes from Hebrews and it comes again in Timothy. Before he ascended to be our great high priest, he had to make propitiation for sin. There was a big, big problem between sinful man and God that needed to be propitiated. Some Bibles will translate the meaning of that word saying we need to be reconciled or have atonement made. But propitiation is an important word. It's worth holding on to because it's actually telling us what needs to be done so we can be reconciled. Or what's happening for us to be in the atonement. Propitiation means God is angry. 
God has righteous wrath upon sin. And a, a propitiation appeases wrath. And so Christ says he will come. The priest, our high priest says, I will sacrifice myself. I will make payment. I will do what is necessary to appease the wrath of God. So you can be reconciled. So atonement can be made. There is nothing that we could do to get that wrath of God off you. It's there. But in Christ, there is a way. We read in Psalms, that Sandy read to us, Psalm 49, 7-9, Truly no man can ransom another or give to God the price of his life, for the ransom of their life is costly and can never suffice that he should live on forever and never see the pit. How could we ever be ransomed from the wrath of God and all the consequences? How could there ever be made a payment made? Because the law of God requires a human payment, payment for the wages of sin is death. But we must all die for our own sins, so how is that ever going to work? There is no one born amongst us who can make payment. But furthermore, how is it going to be possible that one man could give his life as a payment that's going to cover many? He would have to be without sin and his price and his life would have to be immeasurable. If you know Psalm 130, sometimes called a Reformation Psalm because the Reformers clung to Psalm 130 because it tells us of God's grace and his mercy. And one of the, that we're only saved by grace and through mercy through God alone. And in verse 8, we find that God himself is going to redeem his people. How is he going to do that? You put all that together and we see in verse 6, the Son of God, the man Christ Jesus, gave himself as a ransom for all. The death of Jesus on the cross, he was forsaken by God, is the greatest ransom, the precious Son of God, the Lamb without blemish, poured out as the matchless offering. His payment was sufficient to deliver sinners from God's wrath, from death, from eternity, from sin. Meditate on the things of God. Meditate on the work of Christ and he will grow and grow and grow and he will become more and more glorious. And you will cling to him all the more. God's setting us free, the appeasing of his wrath, his mercy was not cheap or unjust. The law was satisfied. A price was paid. Jesus paid it. The mercy you receive from God is lawful. It is just and it is holy. Amazing grace. That is why there is only one mediator. You try and come before God with Buddha. God will be looking for payment. You will be consumed by his wrath and so will Buddha. You come before God with Muhammad. God will be looking for payment. You will be consumed and, so, consumed and so will he. There is only one person who has made payment. Which means there is only one mediator, one way that we can come before God. All other ways are futile. What a precious mediator he is. Call upon him and you will be saved. 
You will be saved. Cling to him and you will live. Belong to him and you will know joy everlasting. Be perfectly restored to God. God's wrath fully satisfied. God's law never condemning. Forever sheltered by Christ. Eternally welcomed into the household of God. God as your father. You as his child. Christ as your brother. Full of the Holy Spirit. Forever and eternally wrapped up in the love. The saving grace of God. All because Jesus, the Son of God, became a man and gave himself as a ransom for sinners. And we see that he did that for all men. Because that's how our verses continue. Who gave himself as a ransom for all. That was something the disciples had to get their heads around. They thought in the end God was only going to save a people from among the Jewish people. As you work your way through the book of Acts, God is helping them to see and to understand that the gospel is for Jew and Gentile. Christ is the ransom by which Jews and Gentiles will be saved. Whether you're slave or free, male or female, Jew or Gentile, Christ is the one payment that you need to lay hold of and the one payment that Christ offers to the world. No one gets to heaven in a different way. And one day, as we read in Revelation 5, 9, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain. And by your blood you ransomed people from, for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. People from Australia, people from Papua New Guinea, people from the Philippines, people from America, people from every nation under heaven. And God did that payment at the set time or at the proper time. That tells us it was God didn't just start the world and then I better do something. A time was set in the mind of God from eternity when Christ would come and make payment in the world. The lamb who had been set apart before the creation of the world. And at the proper time, 2,000 years ago, set from eternity, Christ made payment. There is one mediator. And it was all the plan of God. It was all the work of God. And it is all through the payment of Christ. There is nothing else, no one else, no other way. And we should be reminded of this. I've mentioned the Reformation. The Reformation was a time when people in the church were reading the Bible and they thought, we need to separate from the Church of Rome, the Catholic Church, because it has deviated from the Bible. And one of the teachings of the Catholic Church is challenged by this. There is much that the Catholic Church does with Mary that muddies the waters, blurs the truth, robs Christ of his glory. God is king, yet she's the queen of heaven. God's the father, she's the mother. The Holy Spirit is our helper, yet she is called the helper. And when it comes to Christ, he is without sin. So they say she is without sin. She's immaculate. Christ is our redeemer. Mary becomes the co-redeemer. And Christ is our mediator and she is the mediatrix. It's terrible. It is wrong. It's not biblical. And it robs God and his son of their glory. People who are clinging to Mary and putting their hope in Mary are holding on to a false hope. 
I am certain if Mary were to walk this earth and see people in churches around the world, people praying and being encouraged to pray and cling to her as a mediator before God, she would tear her clothes, put ash in her hair and sit on the ground and mourn. Should Christ see people praying to saints as mediators on their way to him, on the way to God, would break his heart and fill him with a righteous wrath. I'm sure he would go through and pull down those statues, those idols that people put their hope in. And should they see people revering bishops and popes as vicars, as the very representative of Christ on earth? It's wrong. God, there is one God. He is God alone. There is one mediator, Jesus Christ. Everyone else has to get out the way. There's no one else. If you try and call God by dialing up Mary, the line goes nowhere. It's broken. Mary is a sinner like you and me. All the saints that are revered are sinners. Every single one of us has to come before God because we are all broken and we need Jesus. Every single one of us is on a level footing before sin. It is wrong to revere Mary or others as if somehow they're better and can more holy and approach. They can't. In Christ, as your mediator, you are just the same as the Apostle Peter before God. He is no more righteous than you. In Christ, as your mediator, you're on the same as Mary because Christ is Mary's mediator before God. Don't cling to men. And false things cling to Christ. And that's what the Reformation was about. We've got to get rid of all this. It's wrong. And you don't have to enter a church building or go to a temple or a cathedral or a tabernacle to pray to God. Because our mediator is before Christ, God in heaven right now. He's in the heavenly tabernacle, the heavenly Jerusalem. You can be in your car, sitting in your bedroom. At work, at school, you can pray in your prayers. You are coming before God in the heavenly temple with Christ as your priest. Christ alone. And even if some will say, but Christ is still the most important one. Don't put anything in the way. It diminishes his glory. There is one God, he's provided one mediator, and what does he want to do with that? Verse 7, for this Paul was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I'm telling the truth, I'm not lying. A teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. What does God want? He wants the world to know that Christ is the mediator, the one mediator that brings us to God. Paul was appointed. It was, if you turn back to the very first verse of 1 Timothy, Paul an apostle of Christ Jesus by the command of God, our Savior, and of Christ Jesus, our hope. The command of God, our Savior, and Christ Jesus, our hope. God the Father, God the Son said to Paul, we command you, go into the world and preach this message. Preach Christ. That people from every nation under heaven might know that there is a way to be reconciled with God. Preach Christ that they might recognize the lies that are keeping them in chains. 
He was appointed and a preacher. You hear those old preachers and they're not subtle. We've learnt to be subtle. We've learnt to be sort of controlled. But a preacher, or the word there is also a herald. If someone comes into your town as a herald, what do you think happens? You can be in the kitchen, you can be under the car, you're going to hear a voice preaching, heralding a truth. God's desire was for Paul to go out into the world and preach and proclaim so it was loud and clear, Christ is the only way. And Paul was to preach it. And he was sent as an apostle. On its basic meaning, apostle means sent one. But the apostles were more than just sent ones. When you read through the gospel, you see he sent out the twelve. They were apostles. You flick a little bit further on in Luke, the Lord sends out 72. He sends them out, but they weren't apostles. The Lord has many disciples, but a few apostles. For Paul to be an apostle, for Peter to be an apostle means they have been sent out into the world as Christ's representative. To hear them speak is to hear Christ speak. They go out into the world to speak the very words that Christ has given them to speak. So they speak with an authority that you and I don't have. And so that's why Paul says, if anyone preaches a different gospel, it can't be the true gospel. We at Chapel Street have to keep coming back to the Bible. Is this what Paul preached? Otherwise, it's not the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul is the one who preaches. It's a bit silly, really, then, to put red letters in the Bible, isn't it? If you've, in the Gospels and a couple of other places, you'll find red letters as if somehow they're more important. No, the apostles and the prophets, all Scripture is God-breathed. When they spoke, they spoke the very words of God. Otherwise, all Scripture is not all God-breathed. The whole thing is read. That's what we believe. That's what the Bible teaches. But red's actually worse for the eyes, so it's better to be in black. Just make it all black. We have one message. The Apostle Paul preached that one message. And here is the wonderful thing. He was to be a teacher to the Gentiles. All people meant the gospel was to be preached to Jew and to Gentile. If God didn't say that, you and I would still be lost. If God had said, no, just take this to the house of Israel, you and I would be lost in our sin. But God, in his love and mercy, sent the apostles out into the world. He gave the, ultimately the great commission. And that is why you and I have come to hear the gospel. So that you and I can put our trust in Jesus Christ. He will step in as our mediator and make our peace with God. We've got to cling to the, Paul's teachings. Otherwise, as we've touched on other false teachings and false religions, you're going to end up with other books that keep trying to modify the Bible. Bible alone, scripture alone. So three things in closing, cling to the Bible. As a church, as a household of God, we must cling to the Bible. Otherwise, we'll lose the mediator or get the wrong mediator or misunderstand. We've got to just stick to the Bible. Which means holding to what Paul's going to teach us through 1 Timothy Everything he is teaching us in 1 Timothy is the heralding of the testimony about the work that Christ has mediated for us to live out and to proclaim. 
We've got to teach the young ones. You've got to teach the children. And watch yourselves. Because everything around us is telling us there is no God. Or keep it at home. Don't allow it in a public place. And then the very thing that the Lord desires for the gospel to be heralded, the very opposite happens. The plot and the ploys of the devil come to pass. The message is silent. We need men who have courage who will go out into the world and women who will be courageous to tell others about Jesus. Fear him who can destroy soul and body. Don't fear him who can only destroy the body. There's one mediator. And if we truly believe Christ is our mediator, that will set us free. If we truly understand the love he has for us, we will go out to tell others the love. We won't be trying to save ourselves and to cling to our lives. So we've got to teach, and especially our children, and we've got to tell the world. There is one mediator, the man, Jesus Christ. Do you share in him? Do you know today that you are truly at peace with God? If you were to die right now, do you truly understand or know what happens next? If not... Call on Christ, because if you have Christ, there is no fear. All condemnation is gone, for Christ so loved you, he gave his life as a ransom to bring you to God. I'll pray. Father, please help us to revere and to humble ourselves before you alone, for you are God. Father, help us to understand and to know and to cling to Christ, for there is no other way. Father, forgive us whenever we have diminished the message that should be heralded to the world. Forgive us when we have been silent to the message that will save those who are perishing. Father, we thank you that you have not been silent, but you have made the gospel known. We thank you, Jesus, that you came from heaven to preach the way. So, Father, help us to get out of our chairs and to go into the world that others too may know Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.